I'm Damian Bassage, and this is California Frontier, the show about the fascinating history of California and the West. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode. Uh, this time, I am speaking with Dr. Marie Christine Duggan, who's been on the show before, and she's just a fascinating person, one of the smartest people I know. And we get into some really interesting discussions about the history of early California, especially when it was part of New Spain. And we talk about uh, questions that I've had on my mind. For example, why the Spanish came up the California coast in 1602 and then didn't come back for another 160 years, 100 and almost 170 years. Why? The Spanish, for example, were so fearful of the British uh, that they decided to come and colonize Alta California. And also, we'll talk about the first global war, the first, uh, I guess not world war, but something that we could call the first global war, and how the Russians uh, managed to make their way into California. So that's all in the first half of this interview. I split it up into two. and. Uh, this this episode is the first half of the interview, and you will hear the second half later. So, enjoy, Dr. Marie Christine Duggan. Marie Christine Duggan, good to see you again, and good to talk with you. And you are in Mexico City, is my understanding, right? Yes, I am. Thank you, Damien, for inviting me onto the podcast, and thank you for what you do. And um, yes, I am live from Mexico City today, doing work in the archives and meeting some Mexico City commercial historians to give me insights. So let's see. Um, why don't you bring us up to speed a little bit? Well, first of all, if if any of our listeners haven't listened to the first a uh, couple of, of conversations we had, they should definitely go back and I'll link to those and, and listen to them. But maybe just just for a refresher, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. And then, yeah, um, we were going to talk about the research that you're working on and some interesting interesting topics related to Alta California, related to California. Yes. Um, well... My name is Marie Christine Duggan. And in the United States, I would say I was raised in Berkeley, California. And I um, have a PhD in economics from the New School for Social Research. And I teach business management at Teen State College, which is part of the University System of New Hampshire. I've been there for 22 years and I have two children. Now, if I were introducing myself in Mexico, I found that they want me to say something else. Mm. They want you to tell, they want me to tell you my lineage. And then I would say, I am Marie Christine Duggan Conyers, Duggan being my father's side and Conyers being my mother's side. And my father was Joe Duggan, who was a um, French professor and then a complet professor at UC Berkeley and later became the graduate, um, the assistant director of graduate admissions. And my mother is Mary Kay Duggan, 
Well, they would say she's Mary Kay Conyers, right? Because you don't really lose your maiden name. And she is, Conyers de Duggan. Yeah, that's right. But you don't actually yeah. use the day part so much. So I would actually, yeah. So anyway, she's from um, a German English heritage, and she also um, is she's a retired UC Berkeley professor. She's trying to get her second book published. So ah. I think about that a lot. And, and I was married. I'm divorced now. I was married to a Peruvian. So we could say Marie Christine Dugan de Dugan Conyers de Hulka. <laughs> and it's interesting. Like I think about it because telling people you've taught for 22 years at a college in New Hampshire does tell them something about your life, right? But telling people something about who your parents were, your lineage, also gives you a, an image of who they are. And um, so, so from, from my parents, they both did work in archives. So I, and, and they did work in foreign languages. So I grew up thinking that true scholarship was in the archives in a foreign language. <laughs> so I kind of blend that with economics to do commercial history. Yeah, I feel the same. Well, for me, that's, that's the way I feel because that's sort of what I do. Um, looking in archives in a foreign language, mainly Spanish, right? Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I think that a lot of people, when we think about these historical topics, you don't think, well, here's somebody who's a professor of management writing about or talking about the history of Spanish and Mexican California or what have you. But, but you do. And I think that that's, well, I like these things where that, that sort of break our, our typical ideas that we might have about knowledge and about who's doing what and where you can really learn from. So how did you get, once again, we're just sort of rambling here, but I think it's interesting. How did you get from, well, did you, yeah. How did you get to business management or maybe how did you get from management to history or history to management? How did that, how did that happen? Well, I'm currently on a mission to flush out Hispanic commercial actors and Hispanic commercial motives in Spanish California. And Spanish California really ends around 1810 because that's when Spain stopped subsidizing California. So we're really looking for commercial actors who are Hispanic at a very early period, like 1769 to 1810, or even before, like people in the 1750s and 1760s who were talking about, we should settle California from Manila. So I noticed that our whole history of not just California, but the Southwest really largely says there were two sets of actors missionaries and Franciscans and I mean, missionaries and, and soldiers mm. and people who want to go outside the box will then study the Native American communities, which were divided into people who adopted Christianity and people who didn't. But you just never see anybody say there were Hispanic commercial actors. And somebody's bound to say that's not true, that there was Vicente Vasadre, and Adele Ogden wrote about him in 1941, and he was active in California for three years in the otter trade, and he didn't make a profit. And she kind of concluded, well, you know, these 
Hispanic actors just don't have what it takes. And the New Englanders are the brilliant entrepreneurs. And that's kind of silly because there were Hispanic actors in the Pacific Rim sailing every year, pretty much, sometimes more than one ship between Manila and Acapulco, and they always passed California. So I think, you know, 1593 to 21769, there were these Hispanic actors passing through. And then a conventional wisdom is, well, they never got off the ship. Well, that's just not really how it works. Mm. You know, when you're sailing, your mast breaks, you run out of water, you tried to trade on the side. And um, so I think, I think that whole world of Hispanic um, commercial actors has been missing. And you're right. I'm the only person who studies economics to come into this. And, you know, I grew up with the humanities at the kitchen table, right? Both of my parents were great scholars. So I didn't really need to go get a PhD in history because a lot of the historian's toolbox was something I had learned at the kitchen table. And I wanted um, to learn something deep and philosophical. And I felt like economics is pretty important to understanding the world. You know, some people think sex is everything. They go study psychology. I thought the profit motive was pretty important. So I went to go study economics. And economics largely looks at the whole. And I do that too. I look at the Pacific Rim as a whole. So California, I want us to to look at that as part of a voyage that starts in Asia, passes California, and goes down to New Spain. And it may go all the way to Lima. You may, may go to Central America and then Lima. So opposite California is China. Opposite Lima is India. And so I, I look at that watery route as being the key to understanding um, commercial actors in California. And I don't think I would have seen that if I didn't teach economics and business every day. And the reason I've gotten more into management over time is because you look inside a business when you're in management. Economists often get reams of data about, you know, GDP or average wage levels or the cost of living. And I did that for a long time and it's interesting, but at a certain point you want to get in, I'm, I'm more interested in getting inside people's heads and seeing how they took their macro context and made decisions. How am I going to get my family through this? How am I going to make enough money? What are my opportunities? And that's really, um, that's really the business person's um, mindset. And so I do find um, management more interesting that way. And I don't just study the past. I also work with business people in Keene to train my students in New Hampshire. But People say, well, you can't study the present and the past at the same time, but I don't actually look at it that way. I think what I'm looking at is how people make decisions about making profits given their institutional context. And that's kind of what I take to both topics. Well, and we might have talked about this the last time, but when we, when we talk about California in particular and the West Coast, let's say, of the United States, we, we're always talking about trade with China, trade with Japan, trade with the other side of the Pacific and how that affects us. Well, it affects the whole country, you know, the relationships with China, um, trade routes, supply. I mean, for the last three years, we've dealt with supply chain issues and, and what it means when the, when the ports are blocked up or ships can't get in. And if you don't know that context, you may think, well, this is just 
this is this new world that we're dealing with or this new economic reality that we're dealing with. And instead, you know, talking to you and reading the things that you write, understand that, no, for this has been the reality of trade, of of uh, life, at least on the Pacific, for the last two to 300 years. Right. I mean, really 500 years. Mm. And um, yeah, that's, I was at a conference once where somebody got up and talked about the Black Panthers. And I find the Black Panthers fascinating, you know, because I grew up in the 70s in Berkeley. But the Asian American woman who followed her got up and said, well, you know, the Asian impact on California hasn't been nearly as big as the Black Panthers. And that's just, that's just actually like not true at all. The Asian mm. impact on California has been huge. Um, you know, the crew of the ships in California in this, you know, Spain settled California in 1769, but the crew on the ships with the Manila Galleon starting in 1593 were Filipino. And they were often Filipino on the ships afterwards. In fact, in 1779, word got out in Manila that if you joined the San Blas Navy, you would go up to California and collect otter hides. And they were worth a ton of money in Asia. And so a lot of Filipinos were signing up to work for the San Blas Navy because I don't think their wages were very high. I mean, I'm guessing you could probably double your monthly wage with one otter hide if you were a Filipino crew member on um, one of those ships. So by the San Blas Navy, you mean the Spanish ships leaving out of the port of San Blas to go and make that route to the Far East and back? Well, I want to, yeah, let's talk about that a minute. Yeah. The San Blas Navy. And I think we have to start off by making this distinction between England and New England and Spain and New Spain. Mm. Um, because we do often talk about the Spanish. And I think when I grew up in California, I certainly didn't understand the difference between the Spanish and people from Mexico City. Now, I'm not going to call that place Mexico because in the mm -hmm. time period we're looking at it, it was New Spain and the term Mexico meant Mexico City. Mm -hmm. um, and I know we all understand pretty well that England and New England got in a war in the 1770s. So we should understand that Spain and New Spain were separate countries that often had disputes, right? But so in 1768, it was actually Spain, the crown, that decided to establish a port on the west coast of New Spain. And they probably did it because the British had just occupied Manila for two years. And it had come up that the Spanish crown did not have a single naval base on the American Pacific. A lot of people said, well, they'll take Manila. Next thing you know, the British will be in California. Next thing you'll know, uh, they'll be selling British cottons up and down because the British held India and India produced cotton. And they'll be selling it to everybody and we'll lose our market. So the San Blas Navy was established by the Spanish crown and people 
And it's established right at the mouth of the Gulf of California. So I know a lot of listeners have been to Los Cabos and, you know, at the tip of Baja, California. And the San Blas is basically opposite Los Cabos on the mainland of New Spain. And I like to call this whole region the Greater West. So the Greater West kind of starts with the port of San Blas, and then it goes up Sinaloa and Sonora into southern Arizona and comes across to California and then back down Baja California to Cabo San Lucas. And it's basically a landmass that surrounds the Gulf of California. So the Gulf of California is really, um, it's this interesting 900-mile-long piece of water that's from the Pacific that goes up inland to the Colorado River. And the greater west is kind of surrounded surrounds that body of water. And when I study California history now, I realize that it's very connected. A lot of the people who settled California came from um, San Blas or Sinaloa or Sonora or Baja California. And they still do, actually. They still do. Right, right. You know, I had a question before we go any further. And this is something somebody wrote to me and and asked me, um, and the question is why, after Biscaino comes up the coast of Alta California in 1602, why did the Spanish not go back? Why did they? Why were they content to not do anything there until they start hearing about the British or the Russians and? My my understanding has always been, well, it was it wasn't top of mind. The only the only thing that was really interesting in on the coast of California at that time, Alta California, was the fact that the Manila galleons could make landfall if they needed to, and then then keep going. But do you have any other insight as to why you know a hundred and seventy years pass, a hundred and sixty? Some odd years pass before they really um, decide to do something about that northern territory. Well, I think that's a really good question. And you're right. I don't think our literature answers it. And um, there's a very good book that J.M. Mancini wrote in 2018. Um, I think it's called Making, Breaking, and Taking. Hmm. Um, and she said something which I think I had been thinking, but I hadn't said out loud, which is that the British occupation of Manila, 1762 to 1764, was a watershed moment. Um, if the British wanted Manila, then Manila must be something worth having, which hmm. the Spanish crown had thought of Manila as being um, fun sink. <laughs> you know, it took money, didn't make money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people said, "Well, if they take Manila, they'll they'll set up in California." And I think that's been completely left out of the literature. Um, that there was that the Seven Years' War was a really big deal. The Seven Years' War. I have always heard that it was the French and Indian War in New England. But actually, mm-hmm. it was the first global war between the British Empire and the Spanish allied with the French 
and it took place in India, in New England, in the Caribbean, and in Europe. And both England and Spain afterwards realized they have to make more money in order to build up for that kind of war, but especially Spain, because it was very humiliating um, that the British occupied and looted Havana, but it wasn't that long, but they occupied and looted Manila for two years, and the East India Company was involved. It wasn't just the British Navy. And it just made people sit up and pay attention to that part of the world. Like you said, they hadn't paid attention to it. Well, now they were willing to hear what everybody in Manila had to say about it. And a lot of people in Manila says, you know, it's crazy not to have, not to occupy California. And people in Manila mm -hmm. were aware that the Russians in 1741 had moved from Kanchatka, which is very, if you look at the Pacific Rim and you start in Manila, you go up past Japan. And if you keep going up, you come to the Kuril Islands and Kamchatka, which is part of mainland Russia. And then you keep going and you come to, you pass the Bering Strait to come to Alaska. And Alaska is the northernmost point in the Americas, right? And once the Russians were in Kamchatka, they began to explore the piece of the Americas that is very high up there. Um, and really the Spanish thought that belonged to them. They thought the entire Pacific coast of the Americas from top to bottom belonged to Spain. So people in Manila were early on aware of that. And in 1746 said, we should occupy Monterey, build ships in Monterey. Um, and I think it was something that people kept saying. Um, and finally, when the British occupied Manila, the Spanish crown was ready to hear it. Um, so that's, but that's actually something I'm going to write about in a different chapter. And today we were supposed to talk about um, not the Manila, California section, but the California to New Spain section. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the California Frontier Podcast. If you liked what you heard, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the California Frontier Project website at www.californiafrontier.net. If you have a question, comment, or a suggestion, make sure and drop me a line at damian at californiafrontier.net.